The Water Values Podcast is sponsored by the following market-leading companies and organizations. By Intera, Geoscience and Engineering Solutions. By Xylem, Let's Solve Water. By the American Water Works Association, dedicated to the world's most important resource. By Black & Veatch, Building a World of Difference. And by Ziptility, the only app utility crews need to find, fix, and manage infrastructure assets from the field. This is Session 176. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is David McGimsey and thank you so much for joining me. As always, I hope this finds you safe and healthy amidst the public health crisis we find ourselves in. Well, today we continue a streak of, again, tremendous guests. We welcome Dana Haas to the podcast. Dana works at WaterSmart Software, which you might remember is the company helmed by Peter Yalis, who was on the show all the way back in episode number 34, and that was, uh, I think, October of 2014. Dana is terrific and has held a number of positions in the water industry, so she really brings a great wealth of knowledge to the interview, and she's very humble and easygoing. I called her Dana throughout the pre-production meeting and throughout the interview and didn't catch until the end of the interview that she pronounces her name Dana. She didn't correct me, and frankly, I probably wouldn't have remembered anyway because, you know, I'm not that smart. Anyway, she's terrific, and you'll really enjoy her perspectives on conservation, technology adoption, and her insights on navigating a water startup's uh, the valley of death. But first, a little housekeeping. Uh, as always, a hearty thank you to our sponsors in Terra, Xylem, the American Waterworks Association, Black and & Veatch, and Ziptility. And I'd like to, for you to do me a favor. If you work for or with any of these sponsors, please let your boss know. Please let your contact at the sponsor know that you appreciate their thought leadership and support for water education uh, by sponsoring the podcast. You'd be surprised how far that simple little note of thanks can go. Uh, it, it, it's, it's really important. So thank you so much. And as long as you're letting the sponsors know you appreciate their support of water in, industry education and thought leadership, why not leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, CastBox, or whatever other podcast directory you're accessing the podcast on. That'd be greatly appreciated and we'll help others find out about the podcast. Well, that's it for the housekeeping. Now it's time for our feature interview with Dana Haas. Let's get that water flowing. Well, Dana, welcome to the Water Values Podcast. So glad to have you on. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm really excited to be here. Awesome. Well, I love it when people are excited to be on. Uh, <laughs> hey, uh, Dana, for those who don't uh, know you, aren't familiar with you, could you give us uh, a little thumbnail on your background and how you got interested in water? Wolves in the West, but I had an advisor with some foresight that steered me into water. 
and uh, started to look at irrigation use in El Paso, and then, you know, stayed. Uh, after grad school, I moved to California, went to work for um, Pacific Institute, which was kind of a leading think tank in Oakland, and worked on, like, water efficiency and kind of measuring, you know, what is the capacity for water efficiency in California. Um, got to travel around the world uh, doing, uh, talking about that, and then um, decided I wanted to look at some implementation, jumped over to the water utility at the San Francisco Public Utility Commission, uh, where I ran the conservation programs, and that was kind of this really fun time in water where we started to see how utilities, like, utilities started to shift how they think about conservation from, like, customer service to uh, more of water resources planning, and we saw kind of our my group move, make that jump to water resources. Um, so I kind of caught it at the exact right time where we got to grow, got a lot of green lights, um, and then, you know, after I spent six years there and I wanted to see, well, how do other, you know, different size utilities with different resources do things? So I jumped over to the um, consulting world and went to Kennedy Jinx. It's a consulting firm in um, San Francisco that, um, you know, provides services to water utilities. So I did a lot of planning there, uh, both local and regional planning. And then finally in 2015, I moved over to WaterSmart. Um, I'd known Peter from the founder of WaterSmart, who you had on the podcast uh, in 2014. Yes. Um, yeah. I knew him from my days at Pacific Institute, and um, I had talked to him when he launched WaterSmart, but I wasn't really ready to come over. And then in 2015, when they really started expanding into kind of data and analytics, um, I decided to make the jump, and uh, I've been there very happily ever since. Awesome, awesome. Uh, so something you said kind of piqued my curiosity a little bit concerning, uh, you said you were at uh, the San Francisco Public Utility Commission when um, uh, the, the, the pivot occurred for how utilities think about water conservation from essentially from customer service to water resource. What do you, I, I, I'm, I'm very interested in to get your perspective on what do you think caused that shift? I know it's not our main focus today, but I, it's, it's something of interest to me. Utilities and water resource management was very traditionally engineering focused. And I think some of the things that caused that shift was just around what is cost effective and how could we use the resources that we have in a more efficient way. And one of the really obvious things, um, some of the really obvious things were really cheap. I mean, you look at examples like, I always think about this. You know, we're using um, less water. I've heard this number that we're using less water today than we were in 1980, even with the population increase. And that is largely due, at least on the residential level, from things like, you know, efficiencies in toilets. Like they went, why do we need seven gallons to flush a toilet when we could use 0.8? So I think there was this, you know, realization that not everything needs to be a big capital expenditure. You know, change the toilets, it really doesn't make a difference to anybody how much water is used for the flush, and we can reduce, like, residential consumption by a quarter. So this became a really, um, uh, you know, a really kind of 
good opportunity for utilities to make these changes and do it fairly cheaply and do it with a lot of with kind of a low environmental footprint as well. So you know, when I was working at Pacific Institute, we worked on this. I had worked on this report trying to quantify exactly how much water could be saved in California and how much. At the time, we said it was a million acre feet, and utilities said there's no way, with conservation. Utilities said there's no way we can do that. We did this book tour. And since then, number one, they've blown that number out of the water. Um, you know, utilities have been way more aggressive than what we had even imagined. Um, it was a way to, um, it, it was a cost-effective, like, uh, way to, um, to kind of get these savings and do it in a reliable way. So it really meant this portfolio shifted from, oh, this is a service that we sometimes provide our customers, to this is something that we can, you know, um, include in our water resources planning. And you even see that, I, I know at least in California, this is something that's been, you know, institutionalized in the urban water management plans that utilities have to do in every five years. So whether there was like one catalyst to this or utilities kind of understood that this is, cost-effective, that there's other options than, you know, the traditional engineering, and that is something that they can do partnering with their customers. I think it was a combination of things that really kind of moved that shift, but we really did see and, and see, see that move, and, you know, I felt it very viscerally in that when I started working at the Public Utilities Commission, I was in the customer service department, and then we were not, a, you know, we were not part of the water resources. We were not part of water resources planning. You know, fast forward, you know, a year later, we were moved into planning, and we were part of those calculations for kind of long-term supply options. So I think utilities have different reasons for that, but I, I think primarily it was just it became a reliable um, source of supply. Yeah, that, that's a fascinating insight. Um, you know, I've I've. Uh, represented utilities where they have a, you know, they've, for example, one utility received a letter from the state environmental agency saying, look, you know, you're over 90% of capacity. It's time to uh, expand your treatment plant. And then that's when the conversation, the, the conservation uh, discussion really got heated up because they say we can conserve our way out of the problem. But you're at least the, the argument at the time was, look, once you've got that, what we call the early warning letter, it's too late to conserve your way out of the problem. You got to undertake the capital expense because the the state agent, the regulatory agency, isn't going to let you get away with saying we'll just conserve our way out of it. You 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 really con- conservation is more of a long term uh, focus. I think that that uh, you you really got to instill that ethic in your customer base. I mean, do you have any thoughts on that? conservation is unique and is different from other things, other engineering solution, that it could be short-term and long-term. Um, you know, we've seen in California droughts anyway, customers reduce their use like on a dime by a quarter, and then it'll go back up, and that might be okay. Um, so, and then at the same time, you can have technology, you know, once you install a high-efficiency washer or um, high-efficiency toilet, you're not going to take it out after the drop. So that's kind of potentially a long-term solution, although it's a lot quicker to implement than, you know, building another treatment plant. Um, but, you know, after a drought, you might stop taking military showers, and that's okay, too. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
But I, I guess that's a, that's a great point. And, you know, if you're already over the 90% threshold, you know, the, the quick fix, turning it on and off, uh, isn't going to work. You know, they're, they're going to, they're going to, the state's going to want, or the regulatory agency is going to want a plan for the long-term fix, you know? So I, and so that, that's, that's something, you know, to be debated. Right. But, uh, and, and I'm sorry for taking us on this tangent, but, uh, <laughs> well, um, uh, so you're at what I, I think that actually does feed into what we're going to talk about today about how uh, the utilities interact with with their customers, uh, you know, in with the interface you're using, which is the water smart uh, program. Uh, but can you tell us a little about how water smart has changed over the years? I remember uh, when we talked to Peter back in October 2014, there were three kind of key areas uh, that he identified that the water smart software program uh, uh, can help utilities and that's, that's, um, data analytics, customer engagement and, and efficiency. So what are those still, I assume those are still the core missions. What, what do you kind of, how, how has it changed over the years and, and you know, what, 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 where's water smart today? Yeah, I, I, uh, will start by saying those are still the core missions. Um, but we've expanded. So, you know, WaterSmart was born in 2009 in California during the drought to kind of help educate customers about their water use, uh, incentivize conservation, and support consumption analytics for water utilities. You know, we started with a few large customers, uh, like East Bay Municipal Utility District in Oakland, and focused on what we call kind of these water reports, which were print and email mailers, which we sent to residential customers and compared them their per capita use to similar households, because uh, research shows that was the best way to stimulate behavior change. And that was that was really our goal. Um, that's what we were born for, and that was our goal. You know, in terms of what's changed, we've really, like, expanded. I think about it more than of an expansion than a change. Um, we've expanded our communication, automation, and data analytics functionality and, like, widened the scope beyond conservation to affordability, um, sorry, automation, customer self-service, and, like, general operational efficiencies. Um, so in terms of communications, we started with the ability, like, we could send an, an email to an individual. Now we can send, like, email, text, or voice to any group of users the utility wants to target. Um, so, which, among other things, allows staff to manage process that were otherwise manual. So, for example, if there is a, like, service, an outage in a service area, we can, you know, the utility can send, the utility can uh, map or upload a, you know, shape file, identify all the accounts in that area and communicate with them immediately. So, um, for example, I had just launched a customer in Ridgecrest, California, like two days prior to a pretty big earthquake down there. You know, you know, a third of their wells went down. You know, they needed their customers to cut back on their use. Like they immediately used the platform even before they opened the portal. It hadn't. They didn't end up opening the portal for about a year because their meters were down. But they, you know, were able to communicate with their customers via like text and voice and email immediately about this. Um, now we can like send messages to, you know, if you have an irrigation restriction program, you can send messages to customers. You'll know who's who's not irrigating on the wrong day, right days and send them a message. You can uh, send the customer a message if they're on track for a high bill. 
Um, you know, and in terms of operational efficiencies, you know, our leak detection, things like leak detection um, and these automation capabilities have really kind of changed the way that some of these utilities interact with their customers and the time they spent. For example, um, most of our customers didn't even, you know, alert their cu- their customers. Their, most of our utilities didn't alert their customers of leaks. Um, but those that did, you had to, like, download a file and compare it to previous to previous use. Now all of this is automated. You know, well, I had a customer that was using like a quarter FTE on this, and now they can do better things with that time. So that's kind of in terms of like our communication capabilities and targeting some of these messaging and, um, and uh, you know, platforms. Um, so the conservation really opened that conversation but you know, we built on that. Um, we built on that to kind of continue to improve those relationships. Um, the other thing that is a big change is really around data. You know, we started as we, you know, where our we we really interacted with the residential customer base, um, and now we ingest, of course, all meter classes, and we're get, looking to get more and more granular. So utilities can really micro-target their users. So if they have a program that's targeted at hotels or hospitals or schools, we'll really allow them to dig into that. We also had very few AMI accounts when we started. So AMI meters read at a kind of hourly. Uh, prior to that, a lot of our utilities were just, you know, we get either uh, quarterly data or bi-monthly data. Um, and that really um, has changed, you know, what we can do over the years. Hourly data can let us do all kinds of fun things, not least of which is helping customers manage their costs, avoid, like, unpleasant surprises on their bill. Um, you know, um, it really has expanded the universe of what we can do. We can identify which meters are failing. We can identify peak use. So, you know, in my mind, we're doing everything that we've done before plus, you know, and really focusing on how to support the customer and how to improve operational efficiency for the utility. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like a really robust uh, customer engagement platform, and I, I'm really interested. I, I'm kind of curious about, um, and I know this may not be your area of expertise, but uh, how utilities can use that type of data to develop rate designs that will incentivize uh, optimal use of their systems. Um, are you aware of any of your your clients that are you know using the data they're harvesting uh, to actually you know, make adjustments to their rate design? You know, I have one customer that's looking to do, that's trying to do that, but really I think rate design is such a complex issue. Um, And at this, while we do track, what we do track is, you know, the volume of customers in certain tiers and, uh, you know, who are in these high tiers, uh, what are the amount of, when, you know, how these tiers change, but in terms of using that for rate design, um, we haven't quite made, we, I don't think that we have the, um, the right mix of information. I think you need to do, like, there would be, need to do a more kind of in-depth analysis on, you know, what your fixed costs are, what some of the needs are around that to to really inform rate design. You can get a quick look about, uh, you know, how what the volume of users are in what tier, 
and kind of go from there. But I think um, you might want to hire consultants to do that. Oh, well, well, yeah, yeah, I think. But the, but the, the consultants will take the data and push it and, you know, pull it and analyze it and run it through their, their traps. I, I just think that with, with the amount of data that you're producing, that those consultants, that those, you know, rate design consultants, they could really find a lot of use in this data. I would, that'd be my suspicion. Certainly. And I'm actually working with a, with a utility in Colorado who really wants to, um, who really wants to push those high tiers further, you know, make those high tiers really expensive. And they are using our data to try to make an argument for that. I will say, like, again, rate design is so complex around meeting, like, um, kind of fixed costs, but also, uh, you know, there's a really strong political aspect to rate design. And, um, and that is kind of one of the trickiest things. I remember at our utility, when I was at the San Francisco Public Utility, we had a rate freeze for eight years. And oh, then my. after Oh, yeah. And then after that, yeah, kind of in year nine, we raised the rates, and there was such a mutiny. I was at, uh, you know, at that public meeting, and, um, you know, people, you know, we were flooded with comments is what happened. And, you know, the, they, they had to stop people from, they had to kind of at some point close the meeting because, um, you know, people were concerned about, you know, being able to, about lifeline rates, being able to, uh, about affordability. And it really, like, we had to take that back to the drawing board. We, you know, we've just not done a good enough job about reaching out to the community, which we did the following year with the exact same rates, and they passed. So um, rate design is a complex, yeah. emotional issue. Well, you were, you were really behind the eight ball of not having raised rates for eight years because, you know, utilities are much better off, in my belief, raising rates a little bit every year. Just get your customers used to the, that smaller percentage increase every year because, you know, if you, if you wait that long, it's going to be a significant increase and it'll be worth people's while to come out and complain. So um, I, I, I feel for you um, when you do those, those cases that are, have a long time in between the, uh, the rate adjustments. Um, yeah, go ahead. I mean, to me, that was also an example, and this is partly what we're talking about today, is you will always be more successful if you engage your customers. And I don't think that that was really in the DNA of water utilities. It's a monopoly. They really didn't have to do that. And, you know, this is just one example, and that was around rate design. But, you know, it, what we're really talking about is, is if you want your customers to support you, we're going to have to raise rates. We're going to have infrastructure needs. You better keep them informed and so that they understand why this is happening. Yeah, you're, you're right, because not only do do people not see the infrastructure, if it's, it's you know, it's that out of sight, out of mind, and you got to you got to maintain that engagement, because otherwise, they're not going to, they're not going to know about it. And they're just going to come to expect it. And uh, it's it's a much, it's a much more challenging uh, customer engagement paradigm for utilities than it is for other, other businesses. with compelling kind of comparisons for the customer, uh, you know, you're paying a lot less for 
this reliable water supply than you do for your daily coffee. And, you know, the I've always thought that um, kind of one of the things that hurts us compares, compared to, like, we never have a power outage type of thing. You know, we always have to deliver a clean, reliable water supply. So, you know, in some ways, because utilities are so have been traditionally so good at that um people are unaware of the effort and of the costs and of the resources so i i I think that's beginning to be surfaced for you know some unfortunate reasons but that is beginning to be surfaced but that's part of kind of educating and partnering with the customer yeah yeah uh so uh one of the things we haven't really delved into yet is that watersmart was recently acquired as can you tell us a little about about the acquisition and kind of what that means for watersmart and then then i've got a follow-up question to that if i can remember it so go ahead (laughs) Um, so yes watersmart was recently acquired by um by a company called vertex one and it's customer information system and a kind of a complete SaaS solution for utilities Um, This is something that we're, you know, really excited about. Um, Vertex One has, you know, does like meter to cash kind of functionality for utilities. And, you know, it really expands kind of our ability to, you know, what we can offer to utilities. Um, One of our pain points, we have a million ideas of what we want to build for our customers, you know, and our customers certainly kind of, tell us whatever they think of, you know, new great ideas for us. And our pain point was really around resources, um, resources to build this, like the product, the engineering resources, and, you know, um, being, you know, being part of Vertex One right now really, like, expands our resource capabilities and our abilities to, you know, build cool, fun things for our customers. Um, in addition to that, you know, we'll be, be able to, um, offer them a more integrated platform. So we'll be integrating fully with the Vertex One CIS platform. You know, it's not the only integration that we'll d- be doing, but it will be really kind of interesting to be able to offer uh, the this, you know, because one of the pain points is integration. You don't want to have um, staff having to open, like, multiple tabs. You want everything to be fairly seamless. That's always been our approach in WaterSmart. And so having it also integrated with the CIS is really exciting. Um, and then the other thing that, and this is something we've been hearing from customers as well, is, you know, our customers that have gas and electric wanted our product to include gas and electric, and we couldn't, but now we'll be able to. Yeah. So, you know, we're really excited about having access to these resources, offering, like, a, you know, more, a, a bigger, more well-rounded product, um, and, you know, having access to a whole new customer base. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, you know, that you mentioned the customers want the electric and the gas dashboard as well. Um, and I that's that to me just signifies or shows another, uh, another example, maybe in a different context of, of the um, convergence that I'm seeing in the marketplace where, you know, historically, we have seen some electric utilities buy gas utilities, but now some electric utilities buy water utilities. But now it's kind of, it, it's gone both ways now um, with, you know, Aqua now becoming essential uh, and buying the, the, you know, people's gas. And 
it, it's a it's a really fascinating time, and I think that uh, those of us in the water sector need to make sure that we're not just in that water silo. We need to make sure that we're our heads on a swivel and looking around uh, to see how how those other utility sectors can can help us and and how we're affected by them. you know, the, some of the electric providers and, you know, seeing that they've been ahead of the water sector in terms of their, you know, first of all, their metering has been ahead of the water sector. We're really beginning to get into more granular metering, but obviously they've been kind of ahead of us in that, in communicating with their customers, you know, in terms of, and I think, you know, Peter talked about this um, when you had interviewed him, but you, I believe you had compared us to like the O-Power of water in that, you know, for, it's been a long time that the electric, you know, industry has been communicating to their customers about their use and whether, how that compares to other people and, you know, kind of educating them about that, educating them about that. Or even in, you know, in California, we would have the spare the air days. We had the spare the air days campaign. So on these hot days, there would be signage, what, you know, and radio ads and all this communication about, uh, you know, maybe having a lighter footprint that day. And these are really things that I'm, I'm beginning to see the water utilities do, and I'm really excited about. You know, why not now that we have um, hourly metering, we can have, like, spare the water campaigns. We know when the highest uses are now. We can tell you day by day. So um, from that, so I'm, you know, what I'm hoping and what I'm seeing is we kind of begin to adopt some of that, the relationship that the energy companies have built with their yeah, that's a that's a that's a great point. Um, can around the Vertex acquisition, I am kind of curious if you have any thoughts on how WaterSmart kind of survived that quote unquote valley of death. That I've you know I've talked to Trevor Hill and some other folks in in the water tech space about about how the 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 time from launch, you know, to to um, acquisition, a lot of a lot of water tech companies don't make it. And do you have any thoughts on what was it about WaterSmart that allowed you to navigate that valley of death? I mean, I, yes, I have some thoughts. I have some personal ideas about that. Ultimately, <laughs> you know, <laughs> not, I can't, can't be quite sure. But I'll start with I really, really credit Peter um, with building a team that is mission-driven and um, is, you know, has a good relationship with one another and has empathy for our customers. I, that sounds like a kind of vague concept, but to me, and I look at similar companies to ours, and to me, that makes all the difference. And we really, we started off, obviously, like everyone does, with, with just like a small handful of customers, and uh, we really benefited from, like, really from truly listening to our utility partners. Um, their feedback, we look at our, you know, we have this slide that looks at our kind of product roadmap over the years and, you know, where we started with these water reports and residential accounts and where we are now, where we're sending automated alerts and, you know, ingest all this data and, and like, are looking at meter health. And really that came from our customers and kind of, looking at listening to them and helping them evolve and grow our platform. I think the biggest difference for us was really about our customer service 
And I don't mean it just from a customer service team. I mean, the like engineering teams, the product teams, we're very customer focused. Um, and aside, you know, and then you know, the other things is really we've, uh, we've adjusted to the market. Um, you know, we started off conservation, but now we have like, we have, you know, 34 states and provinces, not all of them have water resource uh, scarcity issues. So we really transitioned, you know, also beyond con- conservation. And that, that was played a critical role in us surviving this business. Um, you know, we took a, so we, you know, we took an approach uh, to provide value at like every customer touch points. We looked at customer service, like, uh, more generally and how to empower utility staff with greater customer engagement capabilities, how to improve operations, how to kind of help with um, kind of revenue stability. You know, and then there's things that happened outside of us. Uh, um, it's not all are just great ideas and great customer service. Like, you know, we've really seen, I think I, you know, mentioned when we started, maybe 10% of our customers had you know, hourly data, and like the, we've seen this accelerated adoption of AMI. It's really played a role in our success. You know, now we could do things that are predictive. We can look more at operations. So we provide a better value to the customer as well. So, you know, as utilities across the country made these investments, like they needed a platform in order to communicate this data. You know, you can have a lot of data, but if you don't do anything with it, it's not very useful. So, um, you know, we allow them to do that. So I think it's it's all those things. It's kind of how we approached our customers and those relationships, you know, how we expanded into, like, operational efficiencies and communications and really, like, utilities across the country adopting kind of um, better technology. Yeah, uh, great answer. I mean, uh, it's a little bit of everything, right? It's not just one, there's no one magic bullet. Um, and for every question. <laughs> well, Dana, you've been uh, absolutely, I've really enjoyed our, our conversation today. You've been terrific. Uh, do you have any kind of parting messages uh, that you want to make sure the listener goes home with? I do. <laughs> you've listened before. <laughs> only begun to scratch the surface in terms of the potential of data to change the way we use water. Um, In my experience, this is really a wonderful industry. I spent my entire career in this industry. And um, it's really because we're mostly on the same page here, whether it's like private sector, you know, utility, public sector, policymakers, or consumers. Like water is very tangible to people. Um, we understand that it's limited, and we understand that it's, we're facing a future uh, with more constraints than what we've had in the past, and that we really need to protect it and make the best use of this precious resource. So I, you know, I encourage people to get into the water industry. Um, we have a universe of opportunity ahead of us to use data-driven tools to change the relationship between the utilities and their customers to impact how utilities make decisions, to impact how customers make their decisions about water use. So I, for one, am very excited about our future. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, 
Well, Dana, for those who are interested in finding out more about you, finding out more about WaterSmart and Vertex One, where can uh, folks go to get that information? Uh, well, we're everywhere. Like everybody <laughs> else, we have link, uh, on LinkedIn. We're at WaterSmart Software. Uh, Twitter, I believe it's yeah, WaterSmart. We're on Facebook as well. Uh, our website is uh, vertexone.net. We also are at watersmartsoftware.com. Or um, as far as industry events, we're usually, you know, we're easy to uh, reach. We're easy to find. We go, we go to a lot of industry events, but, of course, um, no one's free to travel these days. But once we are, when we'll participate in conferences again, you can always find us at um, AWWA, about the national and regional WSI, we go to CS Week, the Smart Water Summit, uh, and we'll also continue to participate in kind of more regional conservation-focused events like CalWEP, Colorado WaterWise, and other things. And, of course, I'm on LinkedIn, Dana Haas, and uh, would love to hear from people who have some thoughts about uh, what we're doing, what we should do, um, and anything else in general. Awesome. Well, Thank you again so much for coming on. You were terrific. I really enjoyed our conversation and uh, look forward to speaking with you soon. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. All right. Bye now. Bye. Wasn't Dana awesome? I mean, I, I just really enjoyed speaking with her. She handled the curveballs I threw her so well and so gracefully, and she had thoughtful responses with great insights, uh, which were informed by you know her, her years of experience in the water sector. Well, let me know what you liked about the podcast. You can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag water values. You can tweet at me using my handle at DTM1993. You can email me at david.mcgimsey at dentons.com. And you can sign up for the newsletter at the, uh, at the website. Just Google the water values podcast. It'll take you to the, uh, the page and you can sign up for the newsletter there. We only send it out twice a month. So we're not, we're not spamming you. Uh, and you'll, you know, you'll get a lot of great information uh, in that newsletter. Again, thank you for tuning in and a huge thank you to our sponsors. Again, those sponsors include Intera, Xylem, the American Waterworks Association, Black and & Veatch, and Ziptility. Well, in closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values Podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Well, thank you for tuning in to the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Indiana and Colorado, and nothing in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney-client relationship with you or with anyone else. Additionally, nothing in this podcast should be considered a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer that finds water issues interesting and that believes greater public education is needed about water issues. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water.